Lust is one of the most dangerous feelings we experience as human beings. Lust can lay waste to empires. Lust can irreparably damage entire families. Lust can even get you killed. Copyright lawyer Dan Gallagher is overcome with lust when he meets sexy publishing editor Alex Forrest. The two hit it off and spend the weekend together. Only problem is Dan is married and realizes he loves his wife. But Alex isn't done with Dan. She's in love, and that love quickly turns to obsession. And that obsession turns to madness in the 1987 erotic thriller-turned-horror show, Fatal Attraction. I'm Connor Izagheri. And I'm Julie Cervantes. And this is Filmgasm. Happy Wednesday and welcome to episode 123 of the Filmgasm podcast. This Sunday is Valentine's Day and we wanted to do something romantic. So Julie chose Fatal Attraction and this was your first time watching it, right? Yeah, it's very (laughs) romantic. Not in a good way. Um, Yeah, so I did not know what to expect, only that I knew that the ending was going to be maybe twisty, maybe like intense. Um, So like, yeah, this was... A really fun movie to watch. I enjoyed it. Hell of a pick, but you know, if you wanted romantic horror, this is a good place to go. <laughs> uh, there's no rewind today, so let's jump right in. Uh, first thoughts? What'd you think? It's really good. Um, I can. My rating is going to be high up there. Um, I I instantly like enjoyed the first 10 minutes 10 or 13 minutes of the movie i didn't know if i was gonna get bored or not like in the beginning but no i was like instantly interested in the characters and um by the way his wife is like gorgeous why the (laughs) hell would you cheat on her like i think she's like absolutely perfect i guess it's just the fact that he was like a married man for nine years and like marriage can be maybe like the same routine over and over and sometimes people just want a different like just a change in it but like still like no no excuse like that woman like is perfect (laughs) well i mean the whole throughout the whole movie we see that dan really does care about his family he loves his wife he loves his daughter which makes this snap so bizarre Mm -hmm. and i think it really is just this it's a one it's a brief moment of irrationality where he's not thinking clearly and he fucks up because he's not a bad I don't think Dan is a bad person yeah I think he's an idiot (laughs) but he's not he doesn't do it out of malicious like he's not trying to hurt anybody he really is just overcome with lust and it takes him over yeah yeah like a lot of couples nowadays like sometimes they'll joke and be like oh look at that girl or like oh look at that guy you like him or like Lust is like, you see it, you feel it, and like, but you have to tell yourself, no, I'm married, or no, I'm with someone. It can be pretty powerful sometimes, because like, we're just attracted to each other. As human beings, we're all attracted to each other. So it's about like, making sure that you stay where you are in your relationship, which can be tough sometimes. Yeah, for sure. In this in this movie's context, I find it interesting about that um, you kind of flip your allegiances in this movie. At first, you kind of feel bad for Alex. You think like he's using her, he's manipulating her, but then <laughs> obviously things happen 
things get boiled and we realize she's fucking crazy <laughs> and he needs to get out of this now. <laughs> but I've heard kind of, you know, compelling arguments for both sides here. Like she's, you know, mentally ill. She needs help. And yeah, that's true. But then once she starts actively attacking the family, I feel like, you know, there's no excuse for that. You got to you got to take him out. This is a horror movie now. She's yeah. the bad guy. Yeah. And like in the beginning, she was saying how, well, she lied to him like playfully. But that kind of tells you, I mean, what kind of person she is. Like she lied about her dad, like yeah. dying. And that's not like it's a joke to a point, like especially if it's someone dying. That's like really serious thing to joke about. And one thing I think we should never forget about this movie is from the beginning, she knew he was married. Oh, yeah. That's important. Yeah. So, like, she was guilt-tripping him. Like, yeah. He's an idiot and she's manipulative. <laughs> yeah. What a great combination. I know. Uh, so let's talk a bit about the production of this thing. Uh, Fatal Attraction was a full-length remake of the short film Diversion by James Dearden, who also wrote the screenplay for this film, just expanded his short uh, Fatal Attraction was directed by Oscar nominee Adrian Lyne. His one nomination is for this film, which scored quite a bit of Oscar attention back in 1988. We'll talk about that later. Some of Lyne's other films include Jacob's Ladder, Flashdance, Indecent Proposal, Unfaithful, and the Lolita remake with Jeremy Irons. So his theme is infidelity. <laughs> <laughs> he has a lot of movies about people cheating on each other, and then Jacob's Ladder of all things, which is one of the freakiest movies ever. So, I don't know. Yeah, what an odd resume. <laughs> I mean, it's very interesting. Like, people want to see that. They want to see, like, what happens when there's infidelity in a relationship. And it, it, it gets you on your, like, on the edge of your seat watching films like that. So, I, can, I mean, I can see it. <laughs> yeah, but at some point, I mean, you got to take a look at the mirror and realize like I'm making movies about people cheating on each other nonstop. Like maybe I should do something else, but you know, that's where you get Jacob's ladder, which isn't about cheating. It's about a Vietnam, Vietnam vet suffering from horrific hallucinations or possibly being plagued by demons. We don't really know. <laughs> and the Lolita remake, that's such an odd one too. I mean, that's already a fucked up movie. Uh, Kubrick, 1962 Lolita, it's about a teacher who falls in love with a minor. Oh, yeah. no. And then goes to insane lengths to be with her. It's really fucked up. And they remade it in the 90s. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> yeah, hard to defend that one. <laughs> so the film stars Oscar winner Michael Douglas as Dan Gallagher, the man who taught an entire generation of businessmen not to think with their dicks. Douglas won his Oscar for his performance in 1987's Wall Street. And he also won an Oscar for producing One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. He was filming Fatal Attraction in Wall Street at the same time, like alternating weeks. Hard to, like, I, I imagine it's hard for actors to get in the mindset of just one character, mm -hmm. but to do that back and forth with two vastly different characters, Dan Gallagher and Gordon Gecko, that's amazing. <laughs> I'm yeah. And to win an Oscar for one of them. <laughs> yeah, he did really good, so I didn't notice, like, he was doing a different character at all. He played the same character really well. Yeah, he's good. Douglas is known for his roles as such, um, in such films as Romancing the Stone, Basic Instinct, Falling Down, The American President, The Game, Traffic, and most recently his role as Dr. Hank Pym in Marvel's Ant-Man movies. 
And uh, he's a guy I just have not thoroughly explored enough. Uh, I love the game. I think that's a brilliant thriller. I can't wait to do on this show. That's uh, this guy, uh, like a rich businessman who's kind of, you know, doesn't really live his life to the fullest. His brother gets him a present for his birthday where he's immersed into a massive role-playing game Mm -hmm. that reorganizes his entire life. But he starts to realize that this game company is actually like conning him out of his whole fortune and manipulating his entire life. And he doesn't know who's in on it and who's not. It's very like suspenseful. Mm -hmm. And you're on your toes the whole time because you're thinking like, how deep does this go? Who, who's in on this joke? Is it a joke? What's going on? Who, what's going to happen? It's it's great. It's great. Interesting. (laughs) I just bought that too. It's a great movie. Um, but yeah, other than that, I really haven't looked into his career much. I've heard Basic Instinct is great and uh, Falling Down, I've heard is nuts. It's about a guy who just like is a businessman just one day just says fuck it and starts like shooting people or something. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I don't really know much about it. <laughs> I, this is my second time seeing him. The first time was in Ant-Man. <laughs> and I didn't know he was that guy until he just said it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, the, the beard and the glasses... You know, sometimes it's it's a good disguise. Uh, Romancing the Stone's not bad. Uh, He's like a low-rent Indiana Jones, but Mm -hmm. it's a a charming movie. Seven-time Oscar nominee Glenn Close plays Alex Forrest, one of the scariest women in film history. Close had been nominated for her performances in The World According to Garp, The Big Chill, The Natural, Fatal Attraction, Dangerous Liaisons, Albert Knobs, and The Wife. Has yet to win, but... I'm hoping this year is her year. Uh, in addition, she's also known for her performances in 101 Dalmatians, Mars Attacks, Air Force One, Hillbilly Elegy, her leading role on the TV series Damages, and her appearance as Nova Prime in Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm. Yeah, she's the head of the Nova. The one who calls uh, the head of the Kree a prick. <laughs> <laughs> to me, it's always, you know, I know I come back to this movie a lot, but Mars Attacks. She's the first lady. <laughs> Who's kind of crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and I haven't seen the live action 101 Dalmatians, but she plays Cruella DeVille, and I've heard she's really good. I saw her in the trailer, and she, like, <laughs>, laughs pretty, like, menacingly, and it's really awesome. <laughs> and, like, I think that when I was watching this, I thought to myself, I haven't seen these uh, actors before. And I have. <laughs> <laughs> I always think that whenever I haven't seen these people, they are actually in other movies, and I realize, wow, okay, the world is actually connected. <laughs> well, I think that's the mark of a great actor. If they can, if you can't tell you've seen them before, that means they are so immersed in the character that you don't even see the actor. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which is, mm, that's good. Uh, Hillbilly Elegy is a film I really recommend. Uh, got... It came out last year on Netflix, mm-hmm. and it was completely panned across the board. Everyone said it was shit. I watched it and thought it was one of the most beautiful films I've seen in years. Wow. It's a film about a guy from Appalachia who goes to Harvard and finds out his mom has OD'd and has to go home and kind of fix things. Mm-hmm. And everyone called it political. It's not political in the slightest. It's about family and drug addiction. But Glenn Close plays Mama, mm-hmm. his grandma. <laughs> and she's amazing. And I really hope she gets an Oscar this year. She got nominated for the Globe. Here's hoping. Because she deserves it. She does. <laughs> Oscar nominee Ann Archer plays Beth Gallagher, the unfortunate spouse. Archer was nominated for her role in Fatal Attraction and is also known for her performances in such films as Patriot Games, Shortcuts, 
Clear and Present Danger, The Art of War, and Ghosts of Girlfriends Past. And I've only seen her in Fatal Attraction. I haven't seen the rest of those films. Maybe. But she's really good in this. And I just I feel so bad for her the whole time. Yeah. She doesn't deserve any of this. She's a good person. Yeah. Ugh. We'll get into that. So Fatal Attraction has an IMDb score of 6.9, Rotten Tomatoes score of 76%. It was a giant hit, grossing $320 million on a budget of $14 million, making it the highest grossing film of 1987. It was nominated for six Oscars, Best Picture, Best Actress for Glenn Close, Best Supporting Actress for Ann Archer, Best Director for Adrian Lyne, Best Adapted Screenplay, and Best Film Editing. Uh, speaking of highest grossing film in 1987, you know what else came out in 1987? Predator. Oh, wow. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. Full Metal Jacket, Moonstruck, a lot of great movies, but wow. Fatal Attraction 1, which is amazing. Wow. That an erotic thriller slash horror film could be the highest grossing film of the year. That's, that's amazing. So let's talk Fatal Attraction. <laughs> First up, I have some questions for you. Do you consider this to be a horror movie? <laughs> um, I would say, well, you said thriller doesn't exist. Well, I don't, I don't think that, but, you know, a lot of people do. I wasn't scared. I was on the edge of my seat. I was like, oh, my God. But I, I think a horror movie is when you get scared or you get, like, so on edge that you're sweating or, mm -hmm. like, you, like, you're, I don't know. I guess to me, no. But it's it could be close if it wanted to be. So you think a horror movie is only a horror movie when it scares you? It doesn't have to scare me, scare me. But if you know that it's trying to be scary, yes. That's interesting because we've talked about this. The movie that scared me the most in my life was a sci-fi comedy. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think it's very subjective and relative. Cause, and speaking, well, frankly, as a man... This movie is absolutely terrifying. <laughs> I think that's uh, I think that's intentional. I mean, this is supposed to teach you, you know, don't cheat on your wife. Yeah. Don't fuck around. It's a good lesson. But, you know, as a guy, I've almost, you know, I've I've escaped dating crazy and it's it's scary. You think like, you know, is she going to be out there in, in my driveway, you know, with a knife? You think that and it's it's frightening. Yeah. And uh, this movie's the ultimate bad case scenario <laughs> it's much harder for people back then to get rid of people like that because nowadays with our cell phones we can just block them and they usually don't try to call back and then in this movie they were constantly calling you can't really block them from that and he tried changing his number that didn't work the calls kept coming you know yeah but i feel like blocking somebody is kind of pointless when they know where you live and show up with a knife and try to kill your wife <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the craziest people are not going to stop at a block. Yeah. <laughs> um, so up until a certain point, uh, we talked a little bit about this at the beginning, uh, we are sympathetic towards, well, it depends. Uh, and I was wondering up until, let's say up until the scene where she boils the rabbit, because <laughs> I think that's the turning point. Um, who do you find yourself sympathizing with more? Hmm. Alex or Dan? Um, Dan, because I can tell that she's manipulative in the beginning and like, 
as an adult, if you're like hurting yourself and like in front of someone else that you barely know, that's a sign of like, I want you to feel bad for me and stay and like just crazy. Like you should really get help. Like, um, so I don't feel bad for her. I feel bad for Dan because he has to deal with that and she's putting all these messages in his head that it's his fault. And that, that made me feel bad for him. See, I can't really uh, make a decision here because you went in on this thing blind. Yeah. I knew all about this movie before I saw it. I knew what it was. I knew who she was. I knew that she was crazy. I knew that she boiled the bunny. I knew pretty much everything. Mm-hmm. So I I already had a, I already had my mind made up when I started watching the movie. Mm-hmm. So, But I've, I feel like it, I would be in the same boat. I feel like she does exhibit signs of instability pretty quick. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dan just does not act fast enough. Uh, speaking of... When in the film did you first realize that she was not just crazy, but dangerous? Dangerous. Um, so it's actually not when she cut her hands. Because, like, a lot of people, like, do that as a sign of, I need help. Please help. Yeah. You know, like, it's a sign of, I'm doing this so that somebody could get me help. And I'm not. I'm not confident enough to get it myself. So it's not that part because I feel like mentally unstable people will try to get help. So like after that, I think, um, I'm trying to think of like what went between the rabbit and that. Like, I think it was when, like, because I can't think about what happened between i'm just thinking of the rabbit now like mm-hmm. was there any moment for you that you remember between the rabbit that like yeah there's a definitive scene where i'm like oh shit this is gonna go off it's after she invites him to madam butterfly uh-huh. and he stands her up and she's alone in her apartment listening oh, yeah. to the music just flickering the lamp yeah yeah okay that's the moment i was thinking of <laughs> i knew there was something before the rabbit because yeah and I love that, like, how they played with that in the film. They, like, went from scene to scene back and forth. Like, not just there, but also with um, Anne trying to find her son, or daughter, sorry. Um, and then uh, her taking him to the the fair, or, you know. Yeah. And, like, they play with the, the I'm in this situation, but they're in that situation, and what's going to happen they like put it up that roller coaster ride and then she's also about to get in a car crash it's like so intense and i really like how they do that i think that's why it succeeded really well yeah for sure it's uh the tension is ratcheted up to 11 it's crazy Um, especially when alex kidnaps ellen that's because you don't know like what is she going to do like you know she's capable of anything at this point so you like she could just you know she could literally like push her out of the roller coaster ride if she like was that freaking crazy yeah just to hurt dan all of it is just to hurt dan yeah and it's amazing she didn't do anything to ellen i wonder what stopped her i know like i that's another thing it's like what happened in her past that like she's trying to like there's something about her and children like also do you think she was pregnant probably not right yeah, probably not. That was actually one of my questions. No, I don't think she was pregnant. <laughs> yeah, like she, yeah, she could have hurt that child, but she didn't. So like, is there something that happened to her in the past where she was jealous and she wanted that feeling of being a mother again, you know, sort of thing? Like maybe 
her partner took her children away. We don't know what happened. There was this movie from the early 90s called Single White Female, where um, Bridget Fonda plays a young woman looking for a roommate. She posts an ad in the paper, meets Jennifer Jason Lee, who's, you know, fairly likable. They become roommates. And slowly, Jennifer Jason Lee starts absorbing Bridget Fonda's entire life. Her likes, her dislikes. She gets the same haircut. She tries to sleep with her boyfriend. Like, she tries to replace Bridget Fonda. And I got that same vibe from Alex. Like, she has such an empty life, she can't help but fill it with somebody else's. Yeah. And I think that's what she's trying to do to Beth. She wants Beth's life. She wants Dan. She wants Ellen. She wants to be the wife. Yeah. And she's willing to do whatever it takes in her twisted mind to get that. Oof. This movie has actually gotten a lot of flack in the past, like, 10, 20 years for not really exploring the mental illness side of this. Mm -hmm. She's kind of, Alice is kind of just framed as a boogeyman, like a bad guy, mm -hmm. without really exploring why she's like this. Mm -hmm. But Glenn Close, in her preparation for the role, she went to a bunch of uh, different uh, psychologists to explore Alex's behavior, and they kind of came to the conclusion that she was likely uh, abused by her father sexually, and it created this vacuum in her mind of just unhappiness and craze mm -hmm. and there's more to it than that but i i don't know i think that for what it was for 1987 i think this film is i think it still holds up yeah it does uh like i could probably show this to my parents and they'd be really interested in watching it like my parents aren't very uh explorative with movies so i wish that i could just like show them this movie because <laughs> i feel like they would like it <laughs> <laughs> for sure so there's a couple of lines in this film that have become iconic and the big one is when alex tells dan i'm not gonna be ignored dan that's become like a a classic horror line and it's incredibly creepy the delivery yeah where she's like i'm warning you <laughs> it's uh... it's creepy <laughs> There's so many red flags in this film that he just does not see. It's God. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I love the scene where Dan goes to the parking garage and finds that his car has been like doused in acid or something. <laughs> like, how the hell did that happen? Where did she get acid? I know. <laughs> <laughs> you can't just buy acid. She's crazy. I don't know where she got that. But I think it was. I'm pretty sure it was acid. It looked like acid. Yeah. But. What a what a crazy warning. <laughs> what are you supposed to do at that point? <laughs> I don't he tries to go to the cops, but like under the guise of, you know, I have a friend who's dealing with a crazy lady, what can I do? He just yeah, he can't fess up. He's in a he's trapped. And you feel that the whole time. You you feel his tension. You feel his fear that A, she's going to kill him. B, she's going to kill his wife. C, She's going to tell his wife and he's going to lose everything. Mm -hmm. All of those possibilities are on the table mm -hmm. and he knows it and he doesn't know how to handle it. It's very good performance for Michael Douglas and a really good writing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then of course, once we get the boiled rabbit, we're no longer in an erotic thriller. We are in a horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause that's unforgivable. Turns Alex from a sympathetic uh, character into a full blown horror villain. And 
Ellen wanted that rabbit so bad. I thought that the dog was going to be in that. <laughs> That's a tiny, tiny pot for that giant dog. That was that, that was like a golden retriever. I mean, like the head. Oh, okay, yeah. I was, <laughs> I don't, I was, at that point, I was like, she's so crazy. I would be like, I wouldn't be surprised if it was a dog. But back then, they were probably like, hell no, dogs are like, like dogs in general are never like hurt in movies. <laughs> That's weird. Yeah, you know, that's true. Cats are often killed for a laugh. I know. And that bothers me a lot. I know, that bothers me too. I like cats. Yeah, you kill a dog and you're an unforgivable son of a bitch. (laughs) I know, I feel like maybe the rating would have gone like downhill or something just because of that. Maybe. Look at John Wick. The whole reason we like are 100% on board with him is because they kill his dog. Like that's the whole, that's the whole thing. They're like, of course, good guy, bad guy. Now we know. Proceed. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Um, So, yeah, after the bunny and the scene where Dan finally just breaks and tells Beth everything, you just, you feel horrible for her. When he's quiet and she's like, you're scaring me. And he's like, quiet again. Yeah. She's like, did you have an affair? He doesn't even have the balls to say it. She's like, did you have an affair with that girl? And he says, yes. Like, be a man just say it i did this this is what i did i'm very sorry blah blah blah. don't make your wife say it but her her face from like you know a a slight smile to just crumbling into absolute despair i know it's i i can't take it it's it's so rough i know uh and then he's you know i like when his voice breaks when he says like i'm so sorry you can feel the his voice break like he really does regret this so much God, the characters in this movie are so good. I know. <laughs> it's never, it never feels forced or generic. Like they all, this is how the people would act in a real life scenario. Like maybe not Alex, but <laughs> Dan and Beth for sure. Maybe not. <laughs> uh, so the scene where um, after Ellen is kidnapped and Dan goes to Alex's apartment, tries to strangle her. I love that scene so much. Yeah, me too. Because not a word is spoken, but both of them know exactly what's going on and what could happen. Yeah. Dan's just like staring at her, and then he realizes like, what am I doing? This isn't me. And then just gets up and leaves. (laughs) It's not like she's going to go to the cops. She just kidnapped a child. I know. Just the way he put down the knife saying... Here it is. Don't touch it. Like, I don't know. Like, it's the the tension of the knife being put there in between both of them is really good. Because it shows what could happen, you know. Well, the uh, original ending is very dependent on Dan's fingerprints being on that knife. Mm. And that's why they lingered on it, to to show you, like, see, he touched it. Mm -hmm. And I'll bring that up towards the end. (laughs) Um, So the ending... The ending we do get is straight out of a horror movie. It's, you know, your, it's, I, we've seen this a lot in horror movies where you think that it's over and then she pops up for one last attempt mm-hmm. and she goes after Beth with a knife. That whole scene was just really well done. Do you think that her coming out of the, of the water with the knife was a little much? Um, in the bathtub? yeah. Yeah. When she's just like, rah, like, like Jason or something. 
that was a little a little bit funny i'm not gonna lie <laughs> um but like i like it still i think it should still be there because i was wondering like as we were looking in the bathtub and her eyes were open I was wondering, is she going to, like, come back to life? And she did. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> it's funny you call that scene kind of funny. It was uh, on Bravo's 100 Scariest Movie Moments. That was number 59. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. That's a big issue. Like, I watched that show so many times when I was a kid, which is really fucked up. But because of that, most of those were spoilers. Because the scariest scenes in horror movies are stuff you don't expect that are just kind of built up over time. So I got so many movies spoiled for me that I still haven't seen, but I know how they end, which Aww. is a bummer. <laughs> Do you recall which ones? Oh, The Vanishing, Single White Female, for instance, um, Diabolique, uh, The Sentinel, The Beyond. There's a lot. Wait Until Dark, Don't Look Now. <laughs> I've never seen any of those, which makes us even funnier. Yeah, but when you see them, you'll be surprised. I know, I know, I know. That's why it's funny, because I'm not surprised, and you are. <laughs> or I'm not, I'm going to be surprised. You're not going to be surprised. Yeah, it's not fair. So, the ultimate question, was she pregnant? I'm going to go with no. 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 She's Because it was a fast, like, introduction to her being pregnant, because she instantly said, I'm pregnant, instead of, waiting a little while because if you waited a little more into the movie when she's a little bit crazier you can see her being pregnant because of how much like how, what's in her body you know like if something's in your body and you have to constantly be reminded that this guy just slept with you and now he's leaving she would you can kind of understand um like why she's getting crazier and crazier so I'm going to say no because she like introduced it so quickly. There's only one real bit of evidence in this film that she is pregnant, to me anyway. It's the scene where Alex is outside the farmhouse and she sees Ellen and suddenly she she throws up. Oh, yeah. Because it looks a little like it could be morning sickness. Yeah. But it also could be, I'm so disgusted by what Dan's done to me. Yeah. But other than that, I mean, we've shown, you know, the movie has shown us that she is willing to lie about whatever it takes to get Dan to stay with her. So this is the ultimate, he has to stay, lie. Mm -hmm. So I, I think, yeah, I think she was manipulating him the whole time. Yeah, and if she wasn't manipulating him, she could have said, yeah, um, I feel comfortable with an abortion if you're going to pay for it, blah, blah, blah. But no. It was fucked up that he immediately went to, like, don't worry, I'll take care of everything. <laughs> like, the abortion's on me. Like, holy shit. <laughs> Not endearing yourself to the public there, Dan. Jesus. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah, Dan is not... He's not a great guy, obviously. He... All of this is his fault. He is the one who cheated on his wife and then just let it spiral out of control. I wanted to know why he did it. Like when she said, um, why are you here? He didn't say anything. Like, I kind of want to know why. Like, because, I mean, you can kind of tell in the beginning of the movie, he's like uninterested in having more pets and like he just wants, and he wants a den, blah, blah, blah. Like he no. wants his privacy sometimes and he's getting kind of tired of that like constant routine of, 
I'm taking care of kid, the dog, you know, I don't know. Yeah, he had a brief moment. Like, in the beginning, he is very much overwhelmed by family life and his wife wanting to move to the country, close to her parents. Like, this is not the life he imagined himself having. It's what every, you know, 40-something-year-old dude who cheats on his wife has, (laughs) this thought of, like, how did I get here? Yeah, and it's fucked up. Yeah, and that just builds over time until you have an opportunity, and then you just take it. Yeah. And it's fucked up, and it ruins a lot of families. Like, why get married then? <laughs> like, seriously. Yeah, pretty much. It's uh, it's unforgivable. And seeing just how much carnage is caused by this one choice, it's, he's going to live with this for the rest of his life. He's never going to be able to let this go. And I don't know if they're going to stay together after this. I think nope. like with that, you know, <laughs> Beth killed a woman <laughs> because of this. Yeah. Like, they're done. Yeah. <sighs> Oof. Uh, shit. Dark. Um, so here are some filmgasm facts. Number one, according to Glenn Close, people still come up to her all the time to tell her, thanks, you saved my marriage. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. That's really funny. Number two, during the reshoot of the ending, Glenn Close suffered a concussion during one of the takes when her head smashed against a mirror. After being rushed to the hospital, she discovered, much to her horror, that she was actually a few weeks pregnant with her daughter, actress Annie Stark. (laughs) According to Leading Lady by Stephen Galloway, Close also developed eye and ear infections for being dunked repeatedly in the bathtub water for hours. To this day, Close said watching the ending makes her uncomfortable because of how much she unknowingly put her unborn daughter at risk from the physically demanding shoot. So she did all of that not knowing she was pregnant, which is interesting considering Alex is supposed to be pregnant. (laughs) <laughs> yeah what's like that's a huge coincidence <laughs> nobody wanted glenn close in this movie by the way she had just done like the big chill which is a family movie like she was typecast as kind of like a family lady they didn't think she could hold up like an erotic thriller like this mm-hmm. and eventually she convinced the producers to let her audition and she showed up with like frizzy hair and a black dress and they're like oh my god it's alex <laughs> yeah <laughs> the, number three the original ending had alex committing suicide while dressed in white and Dan being arrested for her murder. It was changed when preview audiences felt that Alex was not brought to justice. This ending still appears in the Japanese release. The ending was reshot in the worship room of the Unitarian Church in Mount Kisco, New York, for three weeks. So the original ending, that's why his fingerprints are on the knife, that's why that's important, because she kills herself with that knife and frames Dan for murder. And that's her ultimate revenge. Oh my god. <laughs> but the audience was like, no! But, she, you know, she, she gets away with it. She gets away with terrorizing him and his family. So thankfully they Like reshot. Gone Girl, right? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Gone Girl, yeah, heavily influenced by this movie for sure. Any movie after 1987 that had like a crazy female character, you could kind of trace it back to Fatal Attraction. Nice. But And this actually was kind of a almost shot for shot remake of a 1971 film called Play Misty for Me, which mm-hmm. has pretty much the same plot. Mm-hmm. It's Clint Eastwood that time though. Which is pretty awesome. <laughs> cool. He's like a DJ. I think it was his first movie he directed too. Wow. <laughs> I can't imagine him taking any shit from this. Like, you know, stay away from me, Alex. I don't take this kind of shit. You know. Kind of <laughs> yeah. Clint Eastwood's no. awesome. Number four, the decision to reshoot the ending garnered mixed reactions from the cast and crew. Director Adrian Lyne initially disliked the idea, but agreed to it after a Paramount executive offered him one point five million dollars. <laughs> 
love that he compromised his artistic vision right there. $1.5 million. Everyone's got their price. When Ann Archer learned of the news, she was flabbergasted and immediately burst into tears, which I think is a bit much. It's not a true story. Glenn Close was staunchly opposed to the idea and even refused to take part in it. Uh, according to co-producer Sherry Lansing, quote, Glenn Close felt sympathy for Alex, a woman battling mental illness, and fiercely resisted cliches about another female psycho. Michael Douglas, on the other hand, had no objection to it and felt that the reworked ending would help the movie. Close and Douglas got into an argument over the ending, over which time Close contacted her friend William Hurt, who finally convinced her to participate in the reshoot. So they weren't, they didn't want uh, her to die? They didn't want her to... They wanted the original ending with Alex killing herself and Dan going to prison because they thought it was less horror movie, less exploitative, I guess. Because the the ending we do get is very much like straight out of Friday the 13th. Yeah. It's a horror movie ending. And I guess they weren't trying to make a horror movie, but they did. But like are both of the, the versions both available so like people can watch both or is it just in Japan? I'm. I would. I would think the original ending is probably on the DVD. Oh, yeah. We can check later, but I, I'm pretty sure it's there. I mean, they shot it. It was in the movie, so it's it's on film. So I don't see why they wouldn't put it there. Um, I'm glad that she called William Hurt and told, and he was like, "Hey, do it," because I like the the end. I like the horror movie ending. I think it's. I do too. It makes sense for the build up. Like we're built up to this, you know explosion of crazy and that's what we get yeah i think the other ending would just be sad it would just be like you feel bad for her when you're supposed to feel bad for dan i guess i don't know it just depends what you think would be good i guess it's all subjective so do you know uh who william hurt is no did you see captain america civil war um, yeah, parts of it. What, what character was he? He's the Secretary of Defense at the beginning who tells them, hey, you gotta sign these accords. The Avengers work for us now. Was he in... General Ross. Other he Avengers was in, movies? He was in The Incredible Hulk. Oh, okay. No, I, I don't remember, but now that you told me that, I can see. There's so few actors now who have not been in a Marvel movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Half the cast of this movie has... <laughs> So, I give Fatal Attraction an 8. Solid thriller. Both Douglas and Close are amazing in it. And so is Ann Archer. I give it a 9. Ooh. Um, I didn't... I I see, like... Like, I guess, since I've seen it for the first time today, I gave it a higher rating because I didn't know what to expect. And maybe because you knew what to expect, it was a little lower for you. I don't know. I'm just assuming. Um, I... <laughs> I guess for me, I really enjoyed all the little, like, things that happen, like the rabbit. Um, I like the way they shot the movie a lot. I think they really paid attention to how to shoot, like, and edit the scenes. I think that I really appreciate that. The characters were amazing. They did really good. Um, It genuinely felt bad for the wife and the daughter. And, like, I... They're so innocent. Like, how can you do that? He's just an idiot. But um, <laughs> yeah, I give I put it really high up there. I give it a nine. Right on. Awesome. Before we sign off, 
I wanted to spotlight Fatal Attraction's Best Picture nomination. Only a handful of horror movies have achieved that high honor in the nearly 100 years of Oscar history. I'd like to showcase the ones that have, and I know I'm reaching by calling some of these horror movies, but I'll stand by my description. So here are some of the, here are the horror films that have been nominated for Best Picture. First up, 1941's Suspicion, directed by Alfred Hitchcock, starring Joan Fontaine as a psychologically distressed woman who is convinced that her scumbag conman husband, played by Cary Grant, is going to kill her for the insurance money. While not a purebred horror flick, it's a disturbing psychological thriller that paved the way for many after it. Joan Fontaine won Best Actress, and it was also up for Best Original Score. Suspicion is a very entertaining movie, because you don't know who to trust. Mm -hmm. He's proven time and time again that he's a piece of shit, and he will do it. But she could also be reading too much into it, and in the end, you still kind of don't know. Mm -hmm. It's a very smart movie, and I think it's... I wouldn't call it horror, but it's it's leaning towards horror. There are some horrifying scenes in there. Mm-hmm. Next up, 1971's A Clockwork Orange. Stanley Kubrick tells the story of sadistic teenage rapist Alex, played by Malcolm McDowell, oh, as he rapes and murders his way through a futuristic London before he gets committed and brainwashed into behaving like a decent member of society. It was also up for Best Director, Best Adapted Screenplay, and Best Film Editing. And... <laughs> Wow. You have a lot of buildup to do before you watch A Clockwork Orange, because that will fuck you up if you watch it right now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, someone I know watched it recently, and they told me that... They didn't tell me to prepare myself, but like since you know me more about my movie history, I'm glad you told me that, because they probably wouldn't care if I watched it. Like... Yeah, I don't know. Like, I know that they're a rapist, and, like, I'm probably not prepared yet. Maybe I am. I don't know. But um, I heard it was really good. What do you think of it? A Clockwork Orange, I fucking hated it the first time I watched it. Really? The second time I watched it, I thought it was absolutely brilliant. So it's one of those films that takes a couple watches to fully appreciate. It's incredibly disturbing. It's got one of the most uncomfortable, horrific rape scenes in movie history. And uh, it's kind of famous for that. So it's not, I, I wouldn't recommend it to people, but <laughs> it is a film that is considered one of the, you know, thousand and one movies you need to watch before you die, that kind of thing. It's a great watch if you're prepared. And yeah, we haven't done it on the podcast yet, but it's, it's in there. <laughs> I mean, if you ever, if you ever want to, I, I'm, I'm willing, but I prepare yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so like. Someone told me that he gets caught, like, in the end, he's supposed to be better, but someone that he wronged comes back for him, sort of thing? Yeah. It's a wild scene. <laughs> Do you think justice in the movie was, like, someone got justice or there was no justice? There is no justice whatsoever. Alex is our hero in a weird way. He's the bad guy and he's our hero because he's the guy we're following. And he gets committed and he gets brainwashed to the point where every time he hears Beethoven, he has immense pain. And he's like, he loves Beethoven. So it's like the ultimate uh, torture for him. But in the end, he kind of breaks that, breaks through that a little. And you get the vibe that like, he's going to keep doing this. But it's interpretive. Okay, cool. Yeah. It's a decent watch. I liked it. It's a good movie. But it really is the kind of movie that you need to be careful with. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack with A Clockwork Orange. Easily worth its own episode. 1972's Deliverance. 
Speaking of rape, a group of city boys go canoeing in the backwoods of Tennessee, get attacked by the inbred deranged locals. This film is also notorious for its graphic rape scene that made famous the phrase, squeal like a pig. It was also nominated for Best Director for John Borman and Best Film Editing and Deliverance is another film that isn't technically horror, but I throw right in there for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. And I just, I don't want to watch this film. I am, I'm going to have to at some point, but I just, I don't want to see that. So Clockwork Orange is like a movie that you'd be okay seeing because it's so good and interesting. And then Deliverance, you don't want to see because... So a Clockwork Orange has a rape scene. Deliverance is built around the rape scene. Okay. The movie is the rape scene. That's the hard. That's the harsh part. Okay. And I know it's just going to be grisly and uncomfortable, but I am going to have to watch it at some point. And A Clockwork Orange is directed by Stanley Kubrick, who has, you know, his own fuck ups, <laughs> and he's just a guy who film buffs should see all of his work because they're all really great in their own way, and. It's, it's complicated. I don't really have an answer. <laughs> I'm rambling. No, it's okay. So, like, Deliverance um, is just different in the way that they use their rape scene. I, I think so. I don't know, because I haven't seen the movie. I know that, and this is going to sound a little misogynistic. I apologize. <laughs> Deliverance is a male-on-male rape scene. And that is why a lot of people have kind of classified it as just particularly disturbing. Oh, okay. Yeah. I can't speak for that. I haven't seen it yet. All I'm all I know is what I've heard. Oh, okay. Yeah. 1973's The Exorcist. Considered one of the scariest movies ever made is the subject of episode 52 of the Filmgasm podcast. A young girl is possessed by the demon Pazuzu, and a pair of priests are the only ones who can save her. It won Best Adapted Screenplay and Best Sound Mixing. It was also nominated for Best Actress for Ellen Burstyn, Best Supporting Actor for Jason Miller, Best Supporting Actress for Linda Blair, Best Director for William Friedkin, Best Cinematography, Best Art Direction, and Best Film Editing. This movie was a monster. The Exorcist dominated the Oscars. And that's huge. Uh, Have you seen The Exorcist? I haven't, but this is the reason why my mom doesn't watch horror movies. <laughs> she watched this movie when she was little. I think I don't think she watched it all the way through. I think she just saw a certain scene that freaked her the fuck out. And since then, no horror movies in the house. Is your family Catholic? No, but okay. they they were like my p- grandparents are Catholic, so like I can see why she, you know. Yeah, this is a. Uh... <laughs> This is a rough one if you have a religious upbringing. Uh, this is the most realistic depiction of a possession that's pretty much ever been done. Uh, when this came out, nobody had ever seen anything like this. People were running out of the theater screaming. <laughs> like this was a this was a nightmare, and uh, I watched it uh, back when we did episode fifty two. It was like my second time, and frankly, I don't think it's that scary. But that's me. <laughs> Exorcist three is way scarier. But. Uh, yeah, I love that it's a, a horror film that got serious awards attention, was a massive hit, and uh, yeah, nothing but respect for The Exorcist. <laughs> Just thinking of a running gag Austin and I did about nerves. We haven't talked about that in a while. <laughs> have to bring that back. 1975's Jaws. A police chief, a marine biologist, and a grizzled fisherman 
must hunt down a monster shark that is terrorizing the beach community of Amity Island. Subject of episode 24 of the Filmgasm podcast. It won Best Original Score for John Williams, Best Sound Mixing, and Best Film Editing, and Jaws is one of the greatest films of all time. Jaws is a masterpiece. And have you seen Jaws? Um, so my grandparents up in Houston would leave it on every time I came over. Like, <laughs> they wouldn't watch it. They would just leave it on. And I don't know why. <laughs> I never... So basically when I would visit, I would just see bits and pieces of it. It's it's really cool looking movie. I haven't seen it from beginning to end, but yeah. It's, it's awesome. It's actually the film that I credit with being the turning point of this podcast because it really... Austin and I love that film so much we like almost transformed the show around it and then just kept doing that so jaws is a special one and uh, i've gotten to see it on the big screen a couple times uh so much fun got a big shark fin hat <laughs> and, uh, it's a great movie they do this thing in uh in austin called jaws in the water mm-hmm. where you can buy tickets to watch jaws like in a, in a i think lake travis in an inner tube and they have a big inflatable screen and they have divers swim under and grab people's legs Oh my god! <laughs> I can't. I, I've been wanting to do that for years. That's amazing. <laughs> 1991's The Silence of the Lambs. The only horror flick to date that swept the Oscars. An FBI cadet is assigned to interview notorious imprisoned serial killer Hannibal Lecter, who takes a liking to her and agrees to help her hunt another killer named Buffalo Bill. It was the subject of episode 8 of the Filmgasm podcast, which I recorded solo. Lambs won Best Picture, Best Actor for Anthony Hopkins, Best Actress for Jodie Foster, Best Director for Jonathan Demme, and Best Adapted Screenplay. It was also nominated for Best Sound Mixing and Best Film Editing. You will see this film again on Oscar Sunday when we choose it for a Best Picture Showdown. If you don't know what that is, check out Oscar Sunday. It's really good. Um, <laughs> Lambs is another masterpiece. It's a fantastic movie. It's really creepy. And the fact that it's a horror movie that just took home the big five at the Oscars is amazing. Only two other movies have ever done that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Silence of the Lambs is one I recommend immediately. It's a great movie. I've never seen it, but I love Jodie Foster. I love her in that one movie with her and Kristen, or what's her name? Kristen Stewart. They were like, when she was super young and they were like, I think it was called... Panic Room. Yeah, Panic Room. I really liked that movie. That was the first movie I saw of Jodie Foster, I think. And then the second movie I saw with her was Flight Plan. I really oh. love that movie. I don't know why. I don't know why. But I, I think it's one of the few like thrillers that I immediately got attached to. I think that's what got me into watching more thrillers. Right on. But yeah. If you like Jodie Foster, you'll love Silence of the Lambs. It's like her best performance. And another Jodie Foster movie I think you might enjoy is called Carnage. Mm-hmm. It's a comedy. It's not a... sounds like it'd be a horror movie, but it's not. Uh... Two kids at school have a fight, wounds are made, and the parents of these two kids meet up to discuss what should be done, and these parents are so childish, shit just gets crazier and crazier as they start acting out and you know being, being weird and crazy, and it's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> Jodie Foster plays one of the parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's great. 1999's The Sixth Sense. A young boy who can see ghosts is helped by a child psychologist who is battling his own demons. Was also nominated for Best Supporting Actor for Haley Joel Osment, Best Supporting Actress for Tony Collette, Best Director for M. Night Shyamalan, Best Original Screenplay, and Best Film Editing. It contains what may be the most shocking plot twist of all time, and Julie doesn't know what it is. 
that still blows my mind. <laughs> oh, one day you're going to watch that and you're going to text me like, holy shit. And I'm going to be like, I know. It might even be the next episode. I'm thinking about it. Ooh. <laughs> 2010's Black Swan. A committed ballerina struggles to maintain her sanity after winning the lead role in Swan Lake. The film won Best Actress for Natalie Portman. It was also nominated for Best Director for Darren Aronofsky, Best Cinematography, and Best Film Editing. I have not seen Black Swan. I've heard good things. I've heard it's really upsetting. But uh, I'm not really a big fan of Darren Aronofsky. I liked Requiem for a Dream, but that's mm-hmm. kind of it. I did not enjoy Mother or Noah. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of hit or miss for me. I've but, never seen it. Yeah. Not a really big Natalie Portman fan either. Honestly, there's not a lot pushing me towards this movie. (laughs) (laughs) And finally, no, wait, nope, got two more. My mistake. 2017's Get Out. A black man travels to the Deep South to meet his white girlfriend's seemingly progressive parents, only to find himself trapped in a horrific scenario from which there may be no escape. It was the subject of episode three of the Filmgasm podcast, which I recorded solo. It won Best Original Screenplay for Jordan Peele, was also nominated for Best Actor for Daniel Kaluuya, and Best Director for Jordan Peele. Get Out was a big deal when that came out, that that got an Oscar nomination for Best Picture was Mm -hmm. huge. Yeah. And it's a great movie. Yeah, I wasn't expecting at all the ending. Like, I watched (laughs) it with my dad, and um, he didn't tell me anything. Like, he's really good about not spoiling movies, and he's like, you have to watch this. You just have to watch it. I'm like, okay. So I watched it, and I was expecting it to be like a, like a meet the fuckers sort of thing. <laughs> no, it's it like once he got hypnotized, I was like, shit, what is happening, dude? It's it's wild. I did not, it's, I didn't know what to expect when I I saw it at the movies, and I thought the opening where, um, where the the, the black guy is attacked in like a white neighborhood. The way it subverted tropes, I thought was really smart. And then it just kept doing that. It just kept subverting my expectations and like playing with tropes. And this music was great. The characters are awesome. And the it's also really funny, which I loved. <laughs> yeah. The ending when like the cop car shows up and you're like, fuck. Yeah, yeah. But then it's the TSA guy. I was like, yes. And then all he just tells him, you know, I told you not to go in that house. <laughs> it's fucking great. <laughs> yeah, Get Out was was awesome. And I'm I'm glad it had I'm glad it won screenplay. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, really, I think that was going to, I thought that was going to change the game for horror in, in the Oscars, but mm-hmm. didn't really. Mm-hmm. Uh, finally, and this is also arguable, but I would argue in favor, 2019's Parasite. A poor Korean family manipulates and cheats their way into working for a wealthy family, starting a chain of events that leads to a lot of violent death. It was the subject of our 34th bonus episode of the Filmgasm podcast and will also pop up again on Oscar Sunday at some point. Parasite won Best Picture, Best Director for Bong Joon-ho, Best International Film, and Best Original Screenplay. It was also nominated for Best Production Design and Best Film Editing. Bong Joon-ho walked away with four Oscars that night, (laughs) which is awesome. He kept going up there. He had different speeches prepared every time. He probably got drunk as hell. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's there's a a famous like meme of him like making two Oscars kiss (laughs) because he can do that. And Parasite was absolutely brilliant that movie was a game changer and it's kind of every genre which is the weird thing it's drama it's comedy it's horror it's all over the map and it's so great it gets better every time i've watched it three times now and it gets better every time (laughs) and the ending like the last 30 minutes is pure horror 
And I, I think this counts. What do you think? It does count. I put it up. I put it there. Like, I got, I got freaked out a couple times. Not just the ending, but also like, in the middle towards the end, there were some scenes that freaked me out. I was like, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> the scene where like the maid just opens the weird door in the basement. And you're like, what the hell is this? The scene where the guy is like banging his head against the wall is fucking creepy. <sighs> like, what the hell? <laughs> Yeah, crazy. And then when he gets out there with the knife and just starts going to town at the birthday party, yep. <laughs> like, what is this movie? Oh, yeah. Love Parasite to death. My parents definitely like that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they saw, I showed them it, and my mom did not like it. My stepdad liked it. <laughs> my, uh, my family's kind of mixed with horror movies. My mom likes them. My grandpa likes them. My grandma hates horror. She will openly get up and leave the room when we put something on. <laughs> And that's, there's two movies that are the cause of this. 1953's House of Wax, which she saw when she was, when she was young and thought, holy shit, this is terrifying. It's not at all. <laughs> and then later, she and my grandpa watched Alien on tape. <laughs> and that wrecked her beyond belief. So she has not watched a horror movie since the late 70s. <laughs> Those seem really intense. Except for the House of Wax, sorry. The, the Alien movies, I can imagine not being intense for her. Although she did see one by accident, which is great. I don't know if I've told this story on the podcast yet. I, I don't think I have. Um, so back in 2007, uh, my uncle suggested a movie for my grandma. She said it was a ghost movie that wasn't that scary that she might like. So she, so she went and saw it. It was 1408, one of the scariest ghost movies ever made. His judgment was poor. My grandma was freaked out beyond belief, as well she should be, and we have not let him live it down. <laughs> I thought y'all were going to say, like, something like uh, The Others or something. But... No, 1408 was... That's a scary movie. That's brilliant. It's mm -hmm. uh, John Cusack plays a, a writer who goes and debunks haunted houses and haunted hotels. He goes and stays in the haunted rooms and writes a blog like, it's not really haunted, it's bullshit. And then he gets a real one. <laughs> and he ends up in room 1408 of the Dolphin Hotel in New York. And from the beginning, the manager's like, look, I'll comp your room. I'll give you, I'll let you read whatever you want. Just don't go in the room, please. <laughs> we don't want to clean up the mess. And he's like, nice try. And he goes up to the room and it's really haunted and it scares the shit out of him and he gets trapped and it's, damn, like it freaked me out. So I can't imagine my grandmother who does not do horror, how she must have felt. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Whenever that movie comes up, we all we always look at my uncle like, remember what you did? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. So there you have it. In the entire span of the Oscars, 11 horror films have been nominated for Best Picture. Two of them technically weren't horror, but that's debatable. Horror still has got a long way to go before it's fully respected by the Academy as a legitimate genre and not as a once-in-a-generation fluke. But we can look back at those 11 countless others that have been up for acting or technical awards, and smile. For me, it's always a win when a horror movie gets any kind of Oscar attention. You know, yeah. visual effects, makeup, picture, whatever. An Oscar is an Oscar. I'll take what, we'll take what we can get if they, you know, take Parasite or like, and not Hereditary. <laughs> mm. We'll take what we can get, I guess. What a monumental fuck up. That movie should have been up for everything. I know. <laughs> uh... Well, it's still like, you know, The Lighthouse last year was up for cinematography. 
we get something sometimes. The Wolfman back in the day. Mm-hmm. American Werewolf in London is what kind of started best makeup, which mm-hmm. is great. So mm-hmm. horror is important, and I will stand by that. So before we sign off, we have a very special announcement. Uh, you may have heard this on the sneak preview. We have a fourth podcast in the works, releasing early next month, but it's not going to be helmed by me or Austin or Julie or Josh. This podcast will be hosted by our two newest team members, Juwan Carter and Andrew Bachman, and they're calling it Guys Who Giggle. That's right. we got a comedy movie podcast in the pipeline. Excited to welcome them into our podcast pantheon, giving you guys four shows a week, every week. Tune in on Friday, March 5th for the first episode of Guys Who Giggle and every Friday after that. Very excited, and we're going to keep pushing this till March 5th, and yeah, welcome to the show. Very excited. Mm -hmm. Next week goes back to Josh as we continue our Valentine's Day celebration with a classic 80s slasher handpicked by our resident horror guru, Josh Allred. A deranged killer in a mining outfit begins slaughtering disrespectful teens on Valentine's Day in the 1981 slasher, My Bloody Valentine. Haven't watched it yet, but Josh assures me it's a gas. Can't wait. I want to thank Julie for helping me take apart Fatal Attraction. Mm -hmm. And I would also like to give a shout out to my talented cousin, Rowan Cutchell, for composing some epic new theme music for the sneak preview. Thanks a bunch, buddy. Don't miss our look into the 1952 Western classic High Noon on Oscar Sunday this weekend, and another sneak preview on Monday where we'll dig into the HBO Max release Judas and the Black Messiah and possibly others. Until then, hopefully Fatal Attraction will continue to scare the pants back onto any men out there who are considering having an affair. Who knows? You might end up with an Alex. See you next Wednesday, and keep watching movies.